Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. quick note about today's episode. We're coming down to the final weeks of this calendar year, and it's a crazy time for everyone. I was incredibly grateful that Zibby was willing to come on the podcast, even though I know that she's juggling a manic schedule. It does mean that our episode is a little shorter than I would have wanted, but I wanted to make sure that I got to share a little bit more about the book that we talk about primarily in this episode. It's her memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. Let me just start by saying, I'm not gonna give any spoilers, but I do wanna read the back cover blurb. I really, truly encourage you to go out and get this book. I believe it will hit you the way it hit me. I believe that as writers and readers, you're gonna see a bit of yourself in here, and it's a beautiful story. The back cover blurb goes like this. An inspiring memoir about one woman's journey to finding her voice and rewriting her story. Zibby Owens has become a well-known personality in the publishing world. Her infectious energy, tasteful authenticity, and smart, steadfast support of authors started in childhood, a precedent set by the profound effect books and libraries had on her own family. But after losing her closest friend on 9-11, and later becoming utterly stressed out and overwhelmed by motherhood, Zibby was forgetting what made her her. She turned to books and writing for help. Just when things seemed particularly bleak, Zibby unexpectedly fell in love with a tennis pro turned movie producer who showed her the path to happiness, away from type A perfectionism and toward letting things unfold organically. What unfolded was a meaningful career, a great love, and finally her voice now heard by millions of listeners. An honest and moving story about relationships, love, food issues, the writing life, and finding one's true calling. Bookends will inspire and uplift. And these are my words now. I believe it does that. Please check out the show notes so you can get a link to this book and let me know what you think. Now, here's my interview with Zibby. Zibby Owens is an author, award-winning podcaster, entrepreneur, and CEO. Owens founded Zibby Media, a privately held media company, in 2018 with her award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. The company has since grown to include the publishing house Zibby Books, the magazine Zibby Mag, the podcast network Zibby Audio, the education platform Zibby Classes, and community events. She was celebrated as New York's most powerful bookfluencer by New York Magazine. Owens is a regular contributor to Good Morning America and other broadcast outlets. She's the author of the memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, the children's book, Princess Charming, and the editor of two anthologies. Owens is a graduate of Yale University and Harvard Business School. She lives in New York with her husband, Kyle Owens, of Morning Moon Productions, and her four children. You can follow her on Instagram at Zibby Owens. 
Let's talk about bookends. Everyone would have heard the bio at the beginning. I think it's really brief when it comes to what your actual experience is. But anybody who gets their hands on this book, and because it's through an Amazon imprint, that means you can get it really quickly, which I was very appreciative of. But as most of our listeners are actually writerly people, I thought this was a perfect book to actually introduce to them if they hadn't heard of it yet because you are somebody that I would consider a writerly person, even from a young age. And so I I have a question. I'm going to dive into things like process, because I always find that really interesting. I don't want to steal lots of stuff from the book, but I might touch on a few things. But can you tell me, how did you go from doing what you had done? And I know, again, over the years, it would have changed. And there's a particular scene that actually made my head explode like that emoji, a response you got from an agent once that might have put you off of your writing for a little while. But what what's your process when you do sit down and write something long form? And maybe it's different for uh, nonfiction than it is for fiction, but what does that look like for somebody who's got lots of balls in the air? Looks like I'm not doing enough writing. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually writing a novel now and it's due in March. And I've been thinking a lot about my process because I've written a memoir and a children's book and edited anthologies. And I felt like all of those were pretty easy. Like I knew how to do them. I felt really confident. I've been writing personal essays my whole life. So when I went to write my memoir, I thought, I mean, granted, I've written it like 10 different times and it's been rejected (laughs) and whatever. In in its current form, it was so quick, but it really was like 18 years or something. For the memoir, I thought of it in scenes. Like almost like I was watching a movie and I'm like, oh yeah, I have to tell that, like, I have to tell that story. You know, like when you're meeting a friend or something and you're like, oh no, I've got to tell her about when I ran across the transverse or whatever. So I actually wrote down a list of scenes at the beginning to make sure to cover. And those were my guideposts throughout writing. And that I could do anywhere. I could do it in the middle of a crowded room. That type of writing I'm so used to doing and I'm used to churning out that I could just do it. With this novel, and I have written other novels that did not sell. I actually only tried to sell one, I guess, but this has been a whole different ballgame for me because I really need it to be quiet. I need to have like no distractions for a really big period of time. I can't just dip in and out because I forget everything that's happening and I can't keep all these people and stories in my head and there's too much else in there, <laughs> right? That's so really interesting. So well, it's, it's so been harder. Do you have, so it sounds like number one, that story actually resonates. I worked with a writer who's really successful in nonfiction and essay, and she writes a lot of freelance as well. So my guess is that when you're writing it, you do a good job of storing what you want to say in your head, and it sort of translates out. And maybe you don't actually have a lot of editing afterward. Is that the case with your nonfiction or your essays? I always tweak. I always, and I always think if I tell myself, that I have to cut a hundred words, it always gets better. Yeah. Like nothing's ever gotten worse from cutting words. So I always try to cut words. <laughs> William Zinzer is proud to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always try to cut, make it a little tighter. Do I really need this word? Do I really need that word? So yeah. I definitely edit, but I do it right after I write it. So if you were, so I guess what I'm saying is if you were turning it in to, or, or submitting an article and you've got a few of those scenes in this book as well, and that joy of, oh, they want it or, oh, people are responding to it. But if you did that, I wouldn't necessarily think you'd get a lot of editors going back saying, we like it, but change this and this. It's probably pretty close 
Oh yeah. Who was no, it's very, it's polished. I, it's yeah. polished. And I, I think that's why I had a lot of good luck. Like once I write for a publication once or twice, I'm always on time, if not early, and it's always very polished. And I, now that, you know, having been on both sides of this whole equation, like that is great. <laughs> I can rely on you. Perfect. Come back. Do it again. <laughs> and now you know why they liked you so much as yes. a contributor. <laughs> like, oh, good. Somebody we can count on. So with this novel, and I find this fascinating, I work with a lot of writers helping them to make that transition or even going from one stage of life to another and continue that connection with their creativity. With your novel, in your, you're talking about writing long form as nonfiction, you wrote down scenes and you could sort of follow that. And it just felt like this is easy. This is how I process things anyway. Yes. How are you approaching the novel? And what's, are you a pantser? Are you a plotter? I think I wanted to ask that question for some interview I didn't ever get to see. <laughs> I don't know if you answered it, but I'm really curious about that. Plotter, pantser, or planter? Do you know I... I would have thought I would have plotted it out, but that made me feel like it wouldn't be fun to write. Yeah. I might be wrong about that. It probably would have been a lot better, but I wanted to write this because I wanted to have fun with it and I wanted it to feel fun when people read it and sort of light and funny and like more of an escape. And mm -hmm. for me, the thought of writing it all out I, I couldn't do it, I guess. I, I don't know. I couldn't think that way. So I had a general idea. I knew where yeah. I was starting. I knew yeah. where to start and I knew where I was going and I knew who my characters were. And so then I just started and it, and then new characters would come and I would literally like start writing this one man, da, da, da. And then after like a page or two, I was like, nah, maybe he's not an asshole. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> and then I like back up, delete, delete. And then I like put in different words. I'm like, oh, now he's a nice guy. You know, it's really funny. Yeah. So yes, more of a pantser. But what I ended up doing is I wrote, I got from the beginning all the way to the end in about 20,000, 20, 25,000 words. So okay. now I'm going to go back and add more interesting things in. It's like I finally got the whole floor plan and now I get to fill in the walls and then I get to paint the walls and then I get to decorate. So I basically just got the whole foundation set. The, the, the skeleton structure. Is that usually how you write, where you write briefly or quickly, as quickly as possible from start to finish and then go fill in? Or is this, it's just novel writing. It's just totally new. It's out of your comfort, other than the the other novel that you'd, that you'd written. And Well, to be honest, the other novels I've written have been based a little bit on something true. Yeah. Like the kernels of it were, were true and I was changing things. This is just not true at all. This is like completely made up. So it's harder, Okay, <laughs> but it's fun. I, it's fun. And now that I know where it's headed, um, I'm less reluctant to get back in. And, and now it's the fun part. Now I get to go in and make scenes longer and more. I love writing dialogue. That's my favorite part. Um, oh, I love that. So yeah, dialogue is really my favorite. Exciting. Well, it's funny too. I do have a lot of writers who say, and I have interviewed someone that, you know, just recently who, who did say that if they know the whole thing, it sort of ruins it for them. It doesn't keep them interested to find out where things go. And they're really invested in getting that revelation dopamine hit mm -hmm. that a reader would get, like discovering a yes. certain thing. And there's a novel coming out in January where... I can't believe it. Uh, so I'm just in awe of anyone who can write a novel, but especially those who say they kept going on, 
but they didn't actually know this main part that becomes a main part of it. They didn't know until the end, until the character sort of revealed it to Mm -hmm. them. And so going along with that process, but it's a, I can see also why you'd be challenged because it's a real shift in what you're expecting from your creativity. So anybody who reads the book and like I said, here's that bio, will understand that you're in Australia, there's a famous movie called The Castle. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's hilarious. And it's a it's a prime piece of pop culture in Australia. But there's a character who's always called, he's an ideas man. And it's a compliment. But in the movie, because it's funny, some of the ideas are like ridiculous. In your case, you are that. You are that type of person where in interviews, I've heard you come up with them straight away and then you manifest them five minutes later. And I'm always sure that people are like, oh yeah, that's fun on the interview with you thinking, yeah, that's a great idea. And they're used to people letting that idea float away. But next minute, I actually see you putting a call out for essays or something and you're actually making it happen, Yeah, which, which is a really different sort of way of interacting with your creativity. I mm. think the novel writing, which is continue to show up, even if you don't have, I'm going to use the word control. It's not that because I think the lack of control is fun, but is, is that it? Are you a type A personality? Do you think? And a perfectionist? Yes, all of the above. Yeah. Everything can always everything can always be better. But you're right. It is I am using a different muscle that is not as well developed. It's like I've been in the gym, you know, working on my arms and all of a sudden now I have to do a squat and I'm like, what? I thought that I was in shape. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you can be you can not that either of these are toned on me at the current time, but yeah. you know, oh, I feel you. Like you can have total differences within your body. And so yeah, but I, I think it's I really like being challenged. I love being challenged. I don't know why. I don't even think I realize this about myself, but I <laughs> have come to realize like I enjoy learning so much that mm. to do it, I keep like tricking myself into like starting new things and learning new things. And even though I'm st- I get stressed, it's really fun for me. So yeah. th- that is like my happy place when I'm like today, <laughs> our social media person is leaving. And I know it's, it's fine. We have somebody helping, but I was like, I just want to know how to do everything in this whole business. So there's like one program I don't know how to use. And I was like, okay, just teach me how to use it. Like, let me just figure it out. Like, and she's like, yeah, it's not rocket science. You know, I'm like, great. Then I'll be able to learn this whole design program and be able to do all the stuff myself. So I don't know. And now I'm like looking forward to learning it this weekend. So, but novel writing, it's yes, it's a weakened muscle, but when I'm in it, I am loving it. Like when I'm, when I can get in it, it's like, it's like a a freezing cold pool, you know, and you like kind of don't want to get in. You're like, I remember that I liked it once I got in last time, but (laughs) oh, this is really tough. And, you know, it's going to take a while for me to adjust. And, you know, then I'm going to have to like wash my hair and it's a whole thing. That's how I feel about it. I have curly hair. I get you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I think it's interesting because I had a call last night talking to some writers and we were talking about, and again, it's different for everyone. So there are some people who are novel writers who are able to write within noise Mm -hmm. and they actually can go to a cafe and they can stay in it. And my biggest thing is not struggling against the ways you can't do it and wishing you could rather accepting, okay, well, this is where I am. So what do I need to put in place? to help me. And oftentimes, especially for a caregiver, whether somebody's a mother to humans 
or to fur babies or to, I don't know, caregiving parents. It's funny that you talk about needing quiet. You can be on a plane, you can be in the midst of chaos. You can probably be in the middle of a work meeting and get an idea and say, okay, I am listening, but also I'm like really quick type this article out. Whereas for you with the novel writing, you need more space around you for that sort of creativity, yes. right? To to be able to hear it. And a lot of times caregivers, we have, well, it's two-pronged. We have guilt over not addressing. And so you have a lot of that in your book too, that I really identified with. So any reader who reads this, I think I was at turn sort of having these internal gasps of recognition, notwithstanding some of the similarities that I, that I shared before we recorded, but also that feeling of not necessarily doing it right and then being disappointed with ourselves because we know we did something like that before, but saying, I can't write, even if there are people who can take care of themselves in the house, somehow it actually shifts energy. And then I start to sound woo like a little bit woo-woo when I say this, but it's true. Some of us, for something new that we want to lose ourselves in, and maybe this is the difference. Maybe when you're writing your nonfiction, your essays, you feel it all the time. So it's not necessarily a separation from where you're at. But if you're mm -hmm. writing something, even if it has kernels of truth, and I would argue when you finish that novel and I read it, I'm going to bet there are those kernels. Something will be true. You're bringing some truth to it, but it's fictionalized enough that you need the space to surrender to it. And you can't necessarily do that if you even hear a, like a dog scratching around or a child and they're not bothering you, but you can, you know, we've got this incredible hearing the second we become mothers, it feels like, and we are light sleepers, even if we were deep sleepers, all of that stuff. Um, have you, so saying that you've got that first draft and I have to say, every time you mention it, I'm like so excited. <laughs> Like, when is she going to hit the deadline? When can we see it? I'm super excited about this. Have you have you set those structures up for yourself? Do you know? I mean, you've got literally so many plates spinning, beautiful plates that I can yeah. tell. That would be hard to say, oh, I'm not going to do that. Let me well, take I, am, away, but... I, I am really excited about all the things I'm doing on, yeah. on the plate on the plate side of things. <laughs> um, you know, I'm remodeling that kitchen and that's great. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to switch gears but I am going to make this deadline. And I have had a much more successful time working on the novel on the weekends that I don't have my kids or when my kids are away at school or camp or something where I have a big stretch. So to really start it this summer, a friend of mine manages a hotel and she snuck me in after oh after like a morning person had left and before the afternoon person checked oh in and I, and I could sit in this beautiful room for six hours and I just had to do it. And that's really how I got going. And yeah, I've needed these big stretches. So <laughs> we're going to LA this weekend and I'm like, oh, thank God I have two flights. Like I'll actually <laughs> be able to, I'll be able to get some stuff done. I could probably do 10,000 words this weekend, right? 10,000, maybe 15,000 words. That would be so, but I'm going to probably just finish the whole thing over like a one week vacation and really just like dig into it. But I have so much respect for authors who live in this imaginative world. This is not my go-to place, but I like to try it. Yeah. I wanted to try it and yeah, but it's, you know, it's fun. I would it's, all, say it's all a mix. It's all a mix. It's it, it all feeds off each other. Well, and again, thinking in terms of, and I guess I'm always, it's not a problem, but a problem solver. Like I always try to help people find that easy path. So that's why I'm always curious about process. Also, because of people listening, one of the biggest struggles is that 
sometimes totally unconscious comparison, right, to other people. And we hear how they do it. And that's what's so amazing. I listen to as many, <laughs> I'm struggling because of how many you have this month, but I'm listening to so many interviews because I get these little nuggets about how different people actually write their books. And there's a difference between, say, Dean Kuntz and is it like Rosie Walsh? And I was heartened to hear that she said she's gone through a change, right? Pre-kids, then after kids, how do you do it? Um, so you were talking about too, I call them noisy environment versus quiet environment. And then you were just talking numbers. When you are sitting down and writing, do they all just come flooding out? So is it every word? Do you edit as you go, even when you're writing the novel? Or do you give yourself permission? I mean, you talked about it a little bit when you said, oh, maybe he's not an asshole. Maybe he's a nice guy. And then I'll go back and change this. Do you edit as you go? Or do you try to just race to the end? I try to race to the end in pretty good shape. Like yeah. I don't perfect it, but I, I go back on sentences a little bit, but I don't like sit there. Yeah, I do. I do it basically really quickly. I just mostly get it out, but I do stop to to tweak a few if it if it just doesn't sound right to me. I love that. Well, one thing I was going to talk about, and the, and I sort of brought it up, and it drove me crazy because working as an agent, and I'm naturally kind of a protective person. You had some time, and we're actually talking about in bookends, which we'll put the link actually to buy in the show notes. If you can't just go in your Google and type bookends, which would probably work just as well. But you talk about spending nine months or a year writing maybe an earlier version of a portion of this, because this particular edition has lots of other things. And I have one question about keeping stuff out, which I thought was a beautiful way to handle memoir. That's one of the main issues that a lot of writers I wor have worked with experience. Uh, how do I do it? And then that stops them. They're in paralysis for moving forward. But you spent this time. And as far as we're concerned, you're in the apex, the, the center of publishing universe in New York. And you got brave enough to send it out. Was it the first agent you'd sent something to? I mean, I know you'd submitted articles and things throughout your life probably, but you sent a, what felt like complete manuscript for a version of a memoir. Is that right? A story about a particular person in your life as well. So after I graduated from business school in 2003, I took a year off to write a book. I wanted to write about having lost my best friend on 9-11. Stacey Sanders, who had been my high school, my uh, college roommate and best friend. And that experience completely changed my life in every way. And over the course of the next year, I lost four other people who were close to me. And by the time I graduated, I was basically a mess. And I decided to take a year off and write a book. I've always wanted to write a book. And I was like, now's the time. I cannot sit at a desk and just do a job that anybody can do if mm. if part of the agreement is that I might get killed at that desk, which is what happened to Stacy because she worked in the World Trade Center. So I wrote the book and that was, it was ultimately called Off Balance. And I wrote it first as a memoir and then as a novel. And okay. I tried to sell it as a novel, but it was really just a masked memoir. Yeah. And for that, I sent it to a bunch of agents who said no. And I and I, then I did finally find one. She was young like me at the time. Like we're, we're close in age. So she was a, a junior agent, if you will. And it ultimately didn't sell. But she did pair me up with some other authors. And I was I did ghostwrite a book. So that was fun to do. Okay. Um, but I kept 
you know, I kept, I was, I was devastated by the rejection of it. Um, and just figured it, I would sell it somewhere somehow. Uh, but <laughs> after six rejections, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And I put it away and it's fine. It, it, I'm, I actually would love to read it now. It's probably terrible, but, uh, <laughs> but I did work. I, you know, I, w- I wrote four complete drafts of that book start to finish. So it was kind of like four books. And then I wrote another, but then I took a long time. I stayed home with my kids for 11 years and just didn't try to write another book for a long time. And I wrote another memoir called 40 Love, which again, it also turned into a novel, a masked memoir of sorts, and tried to sell that as a novel. And that did not sell either. That I only sent to four agents. And then I tried to sell a bunch of proposals for a nonfiction book, but I didn't write that book. So I don't know why, just I should have, but I thought I needed more help and I felt more comfortable submitting fiction. So I didn't actually have any full manuscripts rejected. I just had many proposals rejected, which was embarrassing because then I'd like go to a cocktail party and see one of these people and Anyway, um, (laughs) you know, when I was saying it's a benefit, sometimes people think, oh, if I'm not in New York, that's horrible. I need to be in the center. But when you say that, I think as somebody who socially doesn't love that, I'm an introvert who can talk a lot, but I'm still an introvert. So having to go out to cocktail parties and necessarily see those people, that, that might be more challenging thinking, oh, no. They rejected my work. Yeah. Wow. It was embarrassing. I, I I will say, but I was determined to sell it on proposal and not write the whole thing because I I really believed that the right editor would help me yeah. do my best work. Um, and that's the I think it was the third proposal I tried. I sold <laughs> and then wrote it, and then ironically, the novel I sold on proposal. So yeah. anyway, so we'll I- see. I was going to say, I think it's really hard because when you're talking to, to writers in process, you, you want to give them hope and also tell them some truths so they don't go in and get scarred early on. The scene I'm talking about was something where somebody said, and maybe there's a part of it that's <laughs> made up, which would make me actually feel better. <laughs> but an editor called and said, what even is this? How can I even edit this? So maybe it wasn't an agent. It was an editor. This isn't a book. I don't even know what this is. I mean, (laughs) I just think sometimes we get feedback that, I mean, if it's over the phone, it's hard to dismiss tone. Sometimes if it's via, you know, like text or something, we can say, oh, I missed those those parts, but I, it just makes my heart clench because those are moments that for writers who are meant to write, and obviously you were meant to write, you were meant to be surrounded in every way with what you do. And that would cause somebody to take a break sometimes for a while. Needlessly, what they could say is, you know, it's just really not for me. I'm not sure I could get it up to whatever standard anyway. Tack is what I would appreciate from everyone. But I think ultimately, there are so many layers in this in this particular book that are about getting knocked down, meaning getting knocked down by the realness of life. I, like you, have a... I don't, it's not macabre, but it's just a real sense of at any moment, this could be it. So if I'm not walking towards where I want to actually go, then I'm wasting my time because I don't get to tell myself when time is out. And so there is this sense ultimately of perseverance throughout and not sugarcoating the times when you'd felt knocked down. Right. And I think it's really important for people to read that. And like you've said, I think another thing, it's also 
really heartening for any reader to read this and not only geek out over all the books that, that they may have read and go, oh, I remember that book, but recognize that it's that persistence and, and kind of taking a chance, even if you get knocked down, if you've got that belief, because you've also just explained something that happened with another client and doesn't always. So my advice almost always, especially in novels, is write it. Have the passion and the commitment that you want to write the thing, even if it's not going to get published, but of course we want it to get published. And in publishing, there are so many paths these days, but it is true. Although rarer, well, maybe it's not as rare as I thought. If you've already got a book deal, it can be easier to sell on proposal, right? And now you've got a publishing arm. So you would know what that looks like too, from the other side of the desk. They don't have a full, but you've got this other that you've worked with them on, you know how they work and you'll take a punch. So I think it's really interesting. Most people think nonfiction have to have a proposal, fiction, I better finish the whole thing and then it'll get picked up. But mm-hmm. yours ultimately was counter to that. So I'm aware of the time. I don't want to take too much time, but <laughs> do you do you think you'll revisit some of the other novels or do you think that when you go into something like that, that again, you're going to sprinkle in all of these other things, publishing and sales and podcasts. So again, anyone who hasn't already listened to Zibby's podcast, I know I'm a podcast, but go listen to her podcast as well. You will find out about so many amazing, amazing books. Actually, just go to her website. The link will be in the show notes. You'll have a million ways. The magazine is also amazing and that's new or in the newest form totally beautiful. But some writers, when they talk to me, say once they've started or they've gotten a certain stage with a particular manuscript, they start to feel characters tapping them on the shoulder. And I'm always curious if it's a character. Like I remember a book idea I had in 1997 when I was in London and it is Stephen King-ish, but with an espionage, it may never, will likely never get written, but, but the idea is still in there. And I'm always like, oh, is that going to come to the forefront? And am I going to write it? Do you have something like that now that you've got this certain stage with Blinker? You're just still in the current novel and you're like, let me get this this one done. Yeah, nothing's really calling out to me that I have to do next um, after this. But I'm more focused on, but we'll see. I mean, my novel revolves around four women who are in a, a Zoom book club together. So I did have the idea that I sent to my editor and said, because this first one is told from one person's point of view. I was like, I could just do a four pack and I'll just tell (laughs) each book from a point of view. She was like, try writing one. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Just finish the first one. I mean, well, I think too, it's balancing those ideas. And you've had enough interviews on your podcast too, where it's really interesting when we read the final version of mm-hmm. someone's book. And then that's why I love diving into this again, to show people there's no one pathway. There's no one way to write a book, but also that some of the things that we thought were so integral to the story, maybe a piece that we loved and they're like, oh yeah, I didn't even know that mm-hmm. until after I wrote it. And then I realized it wasn't quite deep enough. I've heard that a few times, sometimes with there was an extra point of view or an extra character or something like that. What is 
what is your favorite part? Again, knowing you're getting to exercise all these other parts, all these other passions, what is your favorite part about writing and the writing process? Or maybe I should even say writing long form, which is totally different. My favorite part about writing long form is the hope that it will someday be a a book <laughs> and then one day it'll be over. No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> okay, kidding. Okay. Um, I think you're talking about something by the way, and we're exhausted. It's the end of the year, right? Whenever anybody's listening to it, I am feeling this overwhelm of everything is crunched up to the end of the year and there's a lot yes. of pressure. So everyone feels like that. I just want it to be done and over um, a little bit. I want to get to the good stuff, which feels like publication, but yeah, what is it? I mean, again, you get so much joy clearly from writing your shorter pieces, right? They're very in the moment. You're full of passion for them. So that mm -hmm. could be harder to sustain, although it's what we're looking for. You were talking about it, that feeling the excitement and the humor of being in the story at the time and knowing that that translates, that Robert Frost feeling that he talks about. Is that maybe one of your favorite parts or... Yeah. When I'm like really in it and I'm having fun with it and people are doing things and I'm like, oh, wow, I just came up with that. How did that happen? Da, da, da. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Like I've said to anybody, go get this book. You will likely you. cry. I much. still feel very emotional about it. And yeah, hopefully we will be able to have you back promoting your novel once that gets wrapped up <laughs> in the new year. It'll be like, it takes, you know, sometimes in publishing, it takes a little while. So you'll have a bit of a break. Yes. But thank you again so much, Zibi. And I hope everybody checks out all the places they can get in touch thank with you. Thank you very you. much. Thank you. I really, for I really appreciate it. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hey, listeners, just an extra little bit here at the end since Zibby and I had to wrap up our interview so quickly there. I wanted to ensure that you didn't miss what I consider the ultimate story arc of this interview with Zibby. I talked a lot more during this interview, and that's because I am constantly excited by the ideas that she brings up. The one thing that stood out for me more than anything else was her perseverance through grief and through perceived and real rejection. She felt the devastation, but she continued to go. You'll see those themes in her nonfiction book, Bookends, but you can hear it in this interview as well. And it's absolutely beautiful. What an incredible message to all of you, whether you are an aspiring writer, a working writer, or a reader who thinks maybe I'd like to give it a try. If you are looking to write, if that is in your heart, then I want you to keep going. Thank you again so much to Zibi for sharing those stories in the little pockets of time that she has with all those plates spinning in the air. I can't wait until we get a chance to talk to her again next year once she's finished this novel. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.